church. So it's, uh, it's that time of year, right? I mean, we're entering the holidays. Here it comes, like a freight train, right? I mean, they used to give you a couple of weeks between Halloween and Thanksgiving with nothing so that you could enter Thanksgiving and then after Thanksgiving, enter into the panic of the holidays, right? But they figure it out. Now, culture, that if they can get you to panic early, then you spend more money. And so now the panic begins real early. Christmas lights up in July. And you're like, oh, is it already Christmas? So it was amazing this year again to watch. We're long before Thanksgiving and already we're thinking Christmas, right? So, uh, so this Thanksgiving holiday that's coming up this week, uh, this particular holiday was established in the, in the calendar of our year to cause all of us to stop for a minute, to take a deep breath, to look around at the life we live to recognize the incredible provision of God and the good and the difficult things and to reflect on that, take the time to remember and then to engage in a feast and a, and a, and a time together uh, to be able to remember all of that. And, and then they threw the holidays panic at us, right? So now there's no such week. Now there's, there's no such reflection. They just get to Thanksgiving and you're trying to figure out, are you going to do Cracker Barrel or the big deal at home, right? I mean, uh, which is going to be the, the, the lesser of two evils? And so you're kind of trying to figure out how to get through this week, how to prep for this week, how to make everything ready. And what we're really supposed to be doing is entering into a time of reflection and quiet and gratitude. As we enter Thanksgiving too, not only do we have the holidays thrown at us and the, the regular Western cultural panic that comes with that, but as we look out into the globe and we say, let's look for the goodness of God so we can be thankful, the first thing that pops up in front of us is ISIS, right? I mean, you, you got ISIS and they're blowing stuff up and they're, probably they're going to try to blow stuff up this week in our holidays. And so you're panicked about that and you've already got the Christmas uh, holiday panic going on. And then on top of that, you look just beyond that from a global standpoint and you realize the globe isn't actually that happy of a place after all, is it? There's lots of people in the globe that this Thanksgiving week are struggling and starving and dying and there's poverty and there's uh, orphans and there's all sorts of stuff that needs redeeming. And so from a global front, you kind of go, gosh, that's a, that's a little difficult. Coming into Thanksgiving, not, not the best of years, right? And then you got your personal life. And I got my personal life. Now, for some of us here, some of you, this year is one of those years. I mean, it is as good as it, as, as it gets, right? I mean, the circumstances are fantastic. You got that promotion you weren't expecting. You, uh, your, your kid got into that school you didn't think they could. Yeah, they, your, your family uh, found themselves into some, uh, some journey that they weren't expecting. Oh, that holiday you were hoping to take is, is going to work out. You know, they're just good, good, good things. So you're going into Thanksgiving and you're ready. I mean, this is going to be the best Thanksgiving ever because you got, you got the list, man. You got the list. And so you already excited. I know you are because it's, it's one of those years where you got the list. And so it's going to be an easy Thanksgiving. For most of us here, that's not our reality. Our reality is a mixed bag, right? We got some good things. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you got your health. Maybe you got your, you're well fed. Maybe that's good. You, you have a house and a bed and, and you know, a pillow. The stuff you tell your kids, right? I mean, we, we live in America. We're good. 
And then you got a couple of not so good things going on. And, and so what you're going to do this Thanksgiving, like most of us do when we enter into a mixed bag, which is most of our Thanksgivings, is you're going to stack the deck. That's what you're going to do. You're going to stack the deck with the good list, and you're going to try to shelf the bad list, put it somewhere, forget about it for a day. You're going to walk into Thanksgiving feeling a little difficult on that because it sits right there. It shouts at you, yeah, it's not so good. And, but you got this good stuff, and then you're good to go. So you're going to focus on the good things, and that will birth in you some gratitude about the life you live, and then you can enter Thanksgiving full of gratitude as well. And then there's some of us here that we are entering this Thanksgiving and the news isn't good, right? It's not good. It's the circumstances are very difficult. Maybe you didn't get the promotion, you lost that job and you haven't found one yet. Maybe you're struggling financially, though you've been trying hard. Maybe uh, there was a, a health discovery that wasn't good news. M- maybe uh, you didn't get into the school you wanted to. Who, who knows? There's a number of difficult things that come our way and And if you're entering that space, then this Thanksgiving is the dreaded Thanksgiving, right? So we all, in our lifetime, will have easy Thanksgivings, the the stack the deck Thanksgivings, and the dreaded Thanksgivings. We like, how do we muster up some gratitude uh, so we can do this? And you know, as Christians, uh, we we gotta be grateful, apparently, because we're told we're supposed to. So when we have the difficult ones, what we tend to do is we play this game. We go, "Well, well, I guess God's gonna use this for this. Well, I guess this is good because God has some magical other plan that I guess we'll figure out next Thanksgiving. And so we, we paint our circumstances pink and red and we go, they're not as bad as they look. And then that way we can find some way of extracting gratitude from that circumstance. Because that's the job, isn't it? To extract gratitude from the circumstance. If they're good, anyone can do it, regardless of your religious affiliation or non-affiliation. When things are good, folks, human beings are grateful, okay? So it doesn't matter who you are. You're happy when stuff is good. So good circumstances, easy extraction. Medium circumstances, doable with a bit of work, helps to follow Jesus, right? I mean, you, you know that it helps to kind of have a bit of a bigger picture. Hard circumstances, difficult ones. Paint them pink and red. A little pretense helps. And then just make them something that's future good and you'll be okay. But what if, what if we could enter Thanksgiving and instead of trying to extract gratitude from some circumstance that's good or stack the deck or paint them pink, what if we could transcend that world? What if we could get past that world of circumstance and we could find in this Thanksgiving holiday the true power that exists in the holiday of Thanksgiving where we as Christ followers can discover a place where we transcend circumstance and extract gratitude, see it born in us regardless of circumstance, whether they are good, medium, difficult, that we know we can come in and not pretend to be grateful, but actually be genuinely grateful and moved this Thanksgiving despite any circumstance. Is that possible? Well, it seems that in Scripture, there is a space that exists that makes that world possible in the dailiness of our lives. Paul writes about it in the book of Philippians. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's writing to a church that's faced great persecution, but he's very grateful for them. And in Philippians chapter uh, 4, he says some things. If you're using one of the Bibles that you grabbed on your way in that we provide 
page 678, 678, if you're using one of those, if you're using your own Bible or a smart device, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 is where we're going to be. Now, Philippians 4.11, Paul is closing the letter out, and what he's really doing is he's thanking the Philippians for their participation in providing for him. They had sent him some financial provision. He was extremely grateful for it, and so he begins by just saying to them, hey, I want you to know how thankful I am how much gratitude I have for your participation in providing for me. That's what the context of this little passage is. But now what Paul wants to do is he wants to make sure that they don't think that his gratitude is born from the circumstance itself. In other words, he's saying this. If you hadn't given me the provision, don't think I wouldn't have been grateful. Does that make sense? That my gratitude was dependent on your provision. I'm grateful for it, but that's not where I'm extracting my gratitude. Look how he says it. He says this. Now that I am speaking of being, now that I'm speaking of being in need, I'm sorry, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, we tend to use that verse on poster boards and quote it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which we use in our entrepreneurial endeavors, right? We're like, oh, I can do anything because Jesus is with me. I can fly. Well, you can't fly because Jesus is with you, okay? Then you may not be able to do anything because you may not be gifted or talented in a particular arena, which means you may not be able to, I can win the race because you, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's not what this verse means, Okay. What this verse actually means in its context is this, that whatever circumstance you may discover yourself in, whatever circumstance may be around you, you do not need those circumstances to dictate whether or not you're going to be okay. What Paul says is, regardless of the circumstance, I have discovered a secret to transcend them and experience gratitude and joy and peace despite any circumstance, good or bad. And the way I've done that is I've discovered that in Christ, regardless of circumstance, it seems he has already prepared me for this. We're going to discover that in a second, okay? So look, he actually writes a few verses before this and makes it a command of sorts as we come to prayer that thanksgiving ought to be a natural byproduct regardless of circumstance. Look at this one. Watch this. In verse 6, of chapter 4, he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what is he talking about? He's talking about anxiety. When do we have anxiety? When the circumstances are awesome? We got the best news ever? No, we don't have anxiety then. You don't need this verse when all is well in the world. You need this verse when stuff isn't good, right? Don't be anxious. Come to me with prayer and petition, supplication. Ask me what you need. And then he throws this with thanksgiving in there, right? Now, that's not the typical parent deal we do with our kids. I got the lollipop. Ask for it. 
What do we say? Please, you have it. You don't say please, you don't get it. See, sometimes we read this verse that way. Ask God when you're anxious for things. Don't forget to say thank you, otherwise he ain't gonna give it. That's not what this means. What Paul is saying here is this. When you come to God, even in anxious circumstances, remember that as you come, there is a space there for thanksgiving, and I've discovered what that space is because I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. So that's really intriguing, isn't it? Because you're like, whoa, wait, wait a second. You mean a place exists where I can enter any circumstance and I can see gratitude born in me despite circumstance? That sounds unreal. That doesn't even sound possible. Well, I want to tell you, it is not only possible, theoretical, and a place that the Apostle Paul, the giant of the faith, had discovered. It's actually something that's very real and very much available for you and I to experience. And when it happens, when we experience this reality, when we have the insight and the vision to see why we can and we step into that, it is extraordinarily powerful when we see gratitude born in circumstances that seem to be the kind that deserve no gratitude, right? Because in the world we live in, when circumstances are bad, everybody acts crazy, right? Everybody's bent out of shape. Everybody's anxious. So when we are, it is the same. Just like when things are good and everybody's happy, when we are, it's the same. But when you should be somebody, who in the midst of difficult circumstance can transcend them and see genuine gratitude born despite them, then it says something to the world the world cannot imagine. See, we actually become loud with our gratitude. We get loud with gratitude, we can do that. But the only place we can truly get loud with gratitude is when things aren't what they ought to be. If they are what they ought to be, everybody's loud with gratitude, everybody. But when they're not, only some can be, only some. There's a story in our midst that happened this, uh, this year that was a beautiful story that displays, in my opinion, the, the best way that in a, a circumstance unthinkable, a circumstance that anyone would say unimaginably difficult, actually birthed some incredible movement and gratitude and thanksgiving that we get to see, not in pretense, but in genuine reality. I know this couple well, I walked with them. What you're hearing in this video is real, it's not a video. It's real, and it's a beautiful story. Listen to this story. It's been an interesting journey for us. Uh, it's been an interesting roller coaster. Uh, we actually landed here, as a matter of fact, almost exactly a year ago. It was different. I just remember it feeling like home, and the message for the day, the sermon was about home. And I think once we found that, that sense of home and that sense of family, we really needed it. Um, especially once we lost our son. Mosaic family is our family and they've really been there for us, uh, particularly um, throughout this journey because it was four and a half months ago that our son passed away. Our son Christopher, he was three and a half months old. Once that tragedy took place in our lives, it was, um, it was something that, that kind of shook us, I think, for a long time. I mean, even to the point where we're both pumping our fist at God and trying to figure out why. Um, why would you put us through this kind of pain and suffering? However, I'm so glad that we've had the support that we've had because there's no way that we would have been able to get through it 
just by ourselves and, you know, just having our church family there. Renault was there at the hospital. I mean, just people just showed up and were like, how did you even know? But they were there. And from that moment, not just when he passed away, but afterwards and meals and prayers, and they just really supported us through this whole season and still supporting still support, us. Yeah. And I don't even know that it's a season because it's kind of been that way, at least for me, my entire life. It's, I've, had, I've gone through some rough things in life, and I think it's, it's almost a way of God's mercy towards me in going through some rough things because I think had things been easy, I might have a tendency to say, look at me, I did that. You know, I worked really hard and this was me, I did that. It's through trials and hard times that God has shown himself to me the most. And it's through the difficult seasons. And I'm grateful for that because it keeps me on my knees and keeps my eyes focused on him. And then with losing Christopher, it's, you know, we question God, you know, I ask God, well, why I don't understand. He actually, I sense the Holy Spirit just really allowed me to see that He gave up His Son for me. And I was a sinner. I didn't really, you know, my mind and my attitude was elsewhere. And and looking at it that way, I'm like, gosh, I don't know that I would have just given up my son for someone who's rejecting me. He was a baby. He wasn't even four months old. He was just an innocent little person. And I'm like, God, how much do you love me that you would give up your son willingly that I could live? I think the one thing that we've always kept in the the, the forefront of, of our minds is that we still got to serve people. Because our, 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 even our family mantra um, is really simple. I, I do something with my son when I drop him off at school and I'll pound my chest three times and I say, love God. And he pounds his chest three times right back at me. He says, love people. And I'll make sure he understands that the people are, is anybody else that's not himself. So that's what, that's what we believe and we know that we're called to do, and that's to love God and love people. No better way to love people than to serve them. I think it helps people to understand that um, there's more. I don't, I don't, it's just there's more to life than just this. And even though there are hard times, like the Bible talks about, when you experience troubles or hardships, it's gonna happen and we're not immune from it just because we're a part of Christ and we're in the body of Christ. But we have um, a hope of something more. Hope is like faith on steroids, man. Uh, and so we, we, we take that and we, we, we run with it, but I think because they've seen us suffering well, uh, we've had people who say, hey, listen, as we've watched you, I've wanted to strengthen my relationship with Christ because I feel like there's gotta be something more to this. Uh, as we've watched you, I want to know a little bit more about this God that you're talking about. This can't be for no reason. You know, it just, it can't be. Because uh, then I'll be mad. <laughs> I think I'll be a little upset. Um, but if there's other people who are gaining a strong relationship or even gaining an introduction to Christ through us, which we've found out there are, uh, it's, it's been well worth it. I'm Kwesi, and this is my wife, Chelsea. And we're changing the world by serving others as we suffer well. What an incredible and beautiful example of what could happen when we enter into some difficult spaces. You heard Chelsea say that beautiful statement that in this story, as tragic as it is, 
uh, in, in, without pretense. It is also a story that has shown her in a depth she could not have imagined what it must have taken for God to love her that much that he would willingly watch his son die uh, for people that reject him at the time, right? Just what a beautiful picture that was. And I love what, what uh, Kwesi said when he, when he said, listen, uh, we have found in this journey, while we're grieving, while we're struggling, while we're going up and down, that we get to serve the body of Christ by suffering well. What a beautiful way to put that, that we are demonstrating our uh, vision of the gospel, the reality of the gospel, through the way that we handle our circumstances. And as we enter into thanksgiving, this gives us a tremendous space to walk into thanksgiving and watch thanksgiving become abundantly more than anything we could have imagined it could have been. If we're coming into thanksgiving with some difficult stuff, then God speaks to that, right? In James, James is writing, and remember, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing to the church as a whole, to the 12 tribes scattered, an early church. Uh, Peter has been imprisoned and just released supernaturally and gone into hiding. James, the disciple of Christ, has just been martyred by losing his head to Herod, so he's just died. The church legitimately thinks that the darkness is winning, right? I mean, have you ever been in that place in your life where you look at the circumstances and you go, light is not winning. Darkness is winning. We, if, if I follow this trajectory, we lose, we don't win. That's where the church was at. And James writes to that church, James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, writes this letter, and listen to how he starts this letter, to a church that genuinely is struggling with, does the darkness win, right? Here's what he says. Chapter 1, verse 2, page 699, 699, chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, hold, hold. That's stupid, okay? I mean, you just know it is. You don't get to say that. You don't get to look at me in the middle of the church dying and the darkness winning and everything falling apart and say to me, hey, hey count it all joy. Be happy. Kind of feels like the just be blessed thing. And at first glance, you might think he's being a little pixie dust here, right? Tossing some pixie dust on a bad situation going, just be happy. But that's not what James is doing at all. He is setting us up to understand a paradigm that shifts us completely and matters to even how we enter Thanksgiving this year. Listen to what he says next. So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing or refining of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is the same word as perseverance. It means to stand fast when something's coming at you. You want to be able to hold your ground. That's what it means. And he's saying what is developing in us through the difficulties of life is a steadfastness. Do you want to be tossed to and fro by the winds of circumstance? Nor do I. Do you want to be a person that is fickle and bounces around depending on how you feel? Nor do I. And God says, it is in the difficult times that I, God, am working in you to develop something you need. Steadfastness. Now let's take a look at this. And let steadfastness have its full effect. So steadfastness even has a purpose. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So if I started backwards with this first, it would have made a lot more sense, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have gone, that's dumb. Can't tell me to be joyful in the middle of trials. If we started here, do you want to be perfect, complete, and lack for nothing? Yeah. Yeah. I want that. Okay. Then what you're going to need is steadfastness to finish its work in you. Okay. How do I get that again? Well, the good news is God is working that out in you. Really? Yes, he is. And here's the cool thing. He's going to use what this planet throws at you and I, what the enemy throws at you and I, what our flesh creates for us, the mess we're often in. He's going to use that redemptively to develop steadfastness in you, to make you mature, complete, not lacking anything. So he's not going to make bad circumstances. We do that all by ourselves just fine. You don't need to do it. They're going to happen, and when they happen, he will redeem them by using them for extraordinary things. So if you're coming into Thanksgiving with difficult stuff, then you look at that difficult stuff and go, there's a purpose in this that isn't pretense. I don't paint it pink and red. It's actually demonstrating something to me that's extraordinary. And it becomes a lens. The circumstance is not what you extract gratitude from. The circumstance is the lens by which you see the God who has rescued your soul, redeemed your future, and restored your purpose, and you extract gratitude from Him. The circumstance becomes the way to see Him. And if we begin to see our circumstances not as things to extract gratitude from, but lenses to see God who we are truly grateful for, it changes the game. Now, what about good stuff? Good circumstance. So you're saying, if it's really bad this Thanksgiving, it can be a lens. I can see God. That's awesome. But if I've got good ones, then I'm okay, right? Then I just use the good ones. No. The good circumstances were never meant to be the things by which you extract gratitude from. If you are extracting gratitude from your circumstances alone, then at best your gratitude is fleeting because your circumstances are fleeting. When you see great things happen in your life, this is what James says, same paragraph, right? Chapter 1, a little further down in verse 17. In fact, let's start in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What did James just say? When we are in difficult times, our temptation is to lose gratitude because the circumstances are not worthy of extracting gratitude from. So we have no gratitude. When we have good circumstances, our temptation is to extract gratitude from the circumstances themselves, in which case we are deceived because they are not worthy of our gratitude. Jesus is, and he gave them to us. So he's saying, don't be deceived. If there's good ones, they are nothing but a lens to see the reality of the great work of God, his redemptive work, the gospel. And if they're bad, they don't have to rob you of gratitude. They are a lens to see what God is up to in his promised sanctifying work that he's doing in you to finish the work in you that he began. That is awesome. And so when we begin to understand this paradigm shift that our circumstances do not have to dictate our gratitude. In fact, they ought never to dictate our gratitude. They ought only to be lenses into the gospel, into Christ 
then thanksgiving transcends the wonder of circumstance. You move from the typical thanksgiving experience, like mine. We sit around the table, the cheesy table of thanksgiving, right? I know you all love it, but here's the deal. You sit around. Here's why it's hard for me, right? All right, I got eight kids. I got a solid shot at several of them going, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Do I have to eat this? So you start. What are you grateful for? I don't know. You don't know? You don't know? You want me to roll it out for you? You live in America. You got a bed to sleep in. You got a house and a roof. There are people starving in this world. Maybe you ought to starve for a while. Then you'll have some gratitude. And then what does the table turn into? It basically turns into a frustrating experience of uh, people that have a lack of gratitude when they ought to be grateful because they have awesome circumstances while we as adults, frankly, sit at the table trying to put our bad stuff on a shelf just to forget them long enough to be grateful at the table. We teach our kids in our own hearts that when things are good, that should give you a reason for gratitude. We even say it to our kids. Well, you have these things and other people don't. And that's the miss. We teach ourselves to extract gratitude from circumstance. And circumstance is not worthy of gratitude. Circumstance was never meant to be the place we extract gratitude from. Circumstance, the things we have, our provision, the lack of things, were only ever meant to be a shadow of the great God that has rescued our souls, redeemed our future, and restored our purpose. They were always meant to remind us that God is here. You know when a shadow passes, what does that tell you? That somebody's there. They, they are not the shadow. It just tells you they're here. And our circumstances have the power to be the lens to help us remember the gospel so that we will live our lives full of worship and gratitude. Romans chapter 12 gives us a glimpse into this. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, listen to what it says. It says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God in view of those mercies to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says this, I appeal to you in view of the mercies of God that you would then Worship him presenting yourself to him. See, our holiness is born, it is the spark from God's love. Do you remember that in that prayer we read from the Puritans? Holiness is the spark from your love, he said, and it is fanned into flame by the continuation of my discovery of your love. We become grateful, peaceful, full of the fruit of the Spirit as we have a better, clearer view of the mercies of God. And the mercies of God are what? Well, the mercies of God is the gospel, the story of God, the redemptive story of God, that we were once lost and he came and got us and now we're fine. And now we are who we need to be. Ephesians chapter two, if you haven't memorized it by now, you ought to because I read it about 10,000 times every single year. It's one of my favorite passages, if not my favorite, and a beautiful display of the mercies of God. Here they are, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1, Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is the, probably one of the best descriptors of who we were outside of Jesus that I have ever read. You know, it's like, it was a giant mess. You hated God. You wanted nothing to do with him. And here's what he did. Here's what he did. But God. I mean, those two words ring in my head every day. This passage, those two words are my two favorite words in this passage, and this is my favorite passage. But God. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. But God, being rich in mercy, so here's his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. And even your faith, which it says here, by faith through grace, through faith by grace, even your faith was given to you by who? God, how do we know? Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Even the faith you brought to the table to to, to match God's grace to say, here's salvation. Even the faith was just a gift. All good gifts come from the Father above all of them. And your salvation is just the most wondrous of those gifts that he has rescued your soul. Now look at this. He's not done yet. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's what this passage tells us. He has rescued our soul. While we were dead, he made us alive. He has redeemed our future. Not only has he made us alive, but he will seat us next to Christ so that he could do what? Read it, it's right in the passage. So he can lavish upon us all of the immeasurable goodness that we can yet even not imagine. So he's going to make us alive, saving our soul, redeeming our future by seating us next to Christ, only to lavish his kindness upon us. Who does that? That's insane. And then he bothers to say this, that's not enough. I have restored to you your God-created purpose. You are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works that I have prepared in advance for you to do. Do you know that God has prepared you and I in advance for the circumstances that we will walk through? Isn't that insane? He has prepared you and I in advance for the circumstances that he knows we will walk through. He doesn't create the mess but he prepares us in advance to walk through it, not surviving, but being on mission. Actually making the gospel known. Actually imaging Christ. Actually making things known about God through whatever circumstances we face. See, when we realize all of this, which we know, then we can enter into any circumstance And instead of trying to extract gratitude from that circumstance or 
pretend to be grateful for a circumstance that deserves no gratitude, we can transcend that and say, the circumstance is only a lens. If it's difficult, then I see what God is up to in me, around me. I remember I've been prepared in advance for this difficult circumstance, and I have the privilege to be able to actually live in the gospel through it, even though I'm, 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 I'm wanting not to. God has made me for that. That's incredible. Oh, and by the way, he's also at work in me through it, making me all I need to be for the future, making me complete, making me mature, and allowing me to lack nothing. Wow. And if I've got some good ones this Thanksgiving, I don't extract gratitude from them. I allow them to be the shadow that says all good things are from who? God, who is the provider. And that should shake us to our core. And what great good thing did he provide for us that all those other things are just a shadow of? That he, while we were dead in our sin, came and made us alive in Christ. That he promises an end for us where he's lavishing his kindness upon us, seated next to Christ. And he tells us while we're on this dump of a planet, we get to make it beautiful because we're redemptive in the very nature of who we are because he was redemptive and is redemptive and we are his. And we no longer live but who Christ lives in us. And so we get to make beautiful this mess because we can. And so my prayer for you is this, that each of us this Thanksgiving would enter in not looking to our circumstances to bring us something, but looking to our circumstances for what they were always meant to be, a lens through which we can extract the beauty of God, the wonder of God, the gospel, and out of that extraction and vision of the gospel, that we might there find our gratitude born. Because if it is born from the gospel, from God our provider, then it will not be fickle, it will not be fleeting, it will not come and go, it will not toss us like the wind. It will be steadfast and it will help us hold our ground. We are indeed rescued. We are indeed restored. We are indeed redeemed. That's Thanksgiving for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your great love for us. That while we were dead, you, you came to rescue us. God, you, you described us well in that passage as you moved through Paul. And I thank you that you put those two beautiful words there. But God, but God, because of his great love for us. This Thanksgiving as we enter in God, regardless of the circumstances we carry with us into this Thanksgiving, may be difficult. Maybe awesome, maybe a mixed bag. Would you move us from trying to extract gratitude from the good ones or paint the ugly ones pink? And would you help us instead to see them all as purposeful, all as lenses through which we can view the wonders of you and what you have done and what you are doing and what you have promised you will do so that we might see more clearly this week in Thanksgiving the gospel, your redemptive story, and see you in it so that we would see our gratitude born from a vision of you, God, not a vision of circumstance. That we would see our gratitude born from a recognition of your story that you are authoring 
in the circumstances regardless of what they might be trying to tell us. Help us to transcend them and experience thanksgivingly, Thanksgiving this year in a way abundantly more than anything we could have ever imagined. Thank you that you have given us a reason, a vision, a clarity by which we can be grateful every day regardless of anything going on around us. Help us to suffer well, grieve well, laugh well. Help us to celebrate well the circumstances we live in so that they might lead us to you and we might lead others to you as they follow us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.